What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We are back with another episode of Hey Chris. And joining me in your favorite segment is the man himself, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? How are you, man? Excited to get into these questions, so let's do it. All right, let's go. First question from Andy in North Olmstead. Now that Garland is on a max contract, what trade value does he really have if the Cavs decide to break up their small backcourt and improve their length and size on the perimeter? Okay, can we first start here and say that the Cavs have no plans to break up their, what did they call it? Small backcourt? Small backcourt, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of evidence over the last year plus that the Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell backcourt is very effective for the Cavs. Obviously, there were some issues that they had in the postseason against New York, but that was a flawed roster, and it's hard to sit here and say, well, that was all Darius and Donovan. They weren't good enough together. The Cavs didn't have enough size on the perimeter. The Cavs have to go and change these things because of that bad series against New York. Let's see what it looks like in a seven-game series coming up this year if the Cavs continue to make progress, if the Cavs get to the playoffs. And let's see what it looks like with a more complete roster around these guys. Max Struess, George Niang, more optionality when it comes to the lineups. Darius Garland, because of his age, because of his potential still, because of his trajectory, because of what he's already accomplished throughout the course of the NBA, he is considered one of the best young players in the entire league. Now, we can sit here and we can say that Tyrese Halliburton has passed him by. We can sit here and say Tyrese Maxey may have passed him by. LaMelo Ball, when healthy, may have passed him by. But given everything and still some untapped potential, Darius Garland, there's no reason for him to go anywhere anytime soon. And there's no reason for the Cavs to even consider it because I just don't think, based on how trades go in the NBA, Ethan, I don't think they're going to get equal value back in return. There's no reason to sit here and even think about the possibility of breaking those two guys up right now. It's what makes their offense go. It's what gives them an opportunity to be more dynamic if this all comes together the way that the Cavs are hoping that it does. Yeah, and I think people forget, like, Darius Garland is 23 years old, so he's got a lot of potential for somebody who's already doing a lot in the league, but yeah, we'll see where it goes in years to come, but as of right now, it would be detrimental to the Cavs for them to break them up. Here's the thing that I think should be exciting for the Cavs and for Cavs fans. There are some things stylistically that Darius and Donovan continue to work through together. Darius has talked about it. Donovan has talked about it. They need more time together. They need more reps together. They have to figure out the on-ball, off-ball thing. They have to figure out the my turn, your turn type thing. But in saying that, Ethan, with both of them on the floor together this year, the Cavs have logged nearly 300 total minutes. They are outscoring the opponent by 11.9 points per 100 possessions with those guys on the floor. Everything still points to that duo working and that duo being dominant. And the thing about breaking them up, part of the reason why the Cavs are committed with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together in their front court is because like, if there is a setup 
where it can theoretically work with two undersized guards, with some guards that have defensive limitations, it's here in Cleveland because the pieces around those guys protect them in a different kind of way and they can erase some of the defensive mistakes. In saying all of that, Darius and Donovan have been better defensively. Like, yes, there are times where they are going to be limited physically. Darius is going to get pushed around. Darius is going to get out-muscled. And Donovan's lack of size is going to come into play when it comes to contesting shots at the rim or contesting shots on the perimeter and stuff like that. But they've both given the effort on the defensive end of the floor. They're both very pesky. They get steals. They get deflections. So I just think those two have been great together. And there are reasons to think that they're going to be even better as this season progresses with more and more time together. All right, Chris. Next question comes from Andrew in Cleveland Heights. Do you think this team could use another physical four or five to pair with Tristan Thompson? And his opinion is that the guy they signed from Utah is not cutting it. I thought he was referring to George Niang. And then I realized that Jordan Yang came from the 76ers. I think he means Sacramento. Right. Back to the question, though. Do you think (laughs) this team could use another physical four or five to pair with Tristan Thompson, I guess, on the second unit? If the Cavs go out around the trade deadline, Ethan, and they start exploring the possibility of upgrading this roster, and I don't think it's going to be significant upgrades, but an upgrade around the margins. The two areas that stand out to me are backup point guard, and you can never have enough 3 and D guys, so that's going to be obvious. But if we're just talking specifically backup point guard, and I would say another depth piece in the front court. Because Damian Jones, you know, the Cavs tried it at the beginning of the year. They made him the backup center. That quickly changed. They went to Tristan Thompson because Jones was so ineffective at both ends of the floor. They had to go to Damian the other night against Miami, and he was okay. The Cavs didn't get killed in those minutes, but you could tell that there's just a different level of drop-off from, obviously, Jared Allen slash Evan Mobley to Tristan Thompson, and then from Tristan Thompson even to Damian Jones. Tristan has been good on the court. He's been impactful behind the scenes as well. So I think the Cavs are happy about that situation, but the Damian Jones signing has not worked out. And if the Cavs got into a situation where Evan is out an extended period of time or J.A. is down for another five-game stretch or, or something along those lines, I think the Cavs would be in a bit of trouble because Damian Jones is is basically unplayable at this point in time. So I do think that's an area that the Cavs will look to upgrade at the trade deadline. But when you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen occupying so many of those minutes, it's not a situation where you have to start trading away key valuable assets to improve that drastically when it comes to the third big. It's just somebody who will give you a little bit more in spot minutes than Damian Jones at this point. Right. And I think that also like with Evan Mobley being hurt right now, it's more glaring because you have to see the second unit and see that you don't have Evan at the five when Jarrett's out or 
somebody else at the four. So that's probably why you're seeing it more. But when Evan's back, then the issues will be resolved at a higher efficiency. Yeah, I think the other thing to consider too, Ethan, and look, this isn't going to happen a lot because of some of his own limitations on the defensive end of the floor, but an option for the Cavs, just an option, is George Niang at the five in a small ball lineup. For example, the other night against Miami, if the Cavs get into a situation where they're playing against Miami or a team stylistically like Miami that has a Kevin Love type player playing small ball five, the Cavs can theoretically get away with George Niang as a small ball five. It's going to be small doses. It's not going to be every matchup. But there are some teams that just don't have the same kind of traditional center. And it's another option, at least, for the Cavs. That is a definition of small ball five because George Niang is just six foot seven. <laughs> That's right. It's just insane to say and think about as a center position. How tall do you think Draymond Green is? Yeah, I don't think he's tall either. So that's what I was about to say. If you were playing the Warriors and you got Draymond at the five, that would make sense to have a small ball five. But Draymond doesn't get pushed around by nobody for real. So anyway, next question. William from Pepper Pike asks, is a combination of Garland and Craig Porter Jr. prohibited because of the lack of size? Well, if you remember during that stretch where Donovan Mitchell was sidelined because of his hamstring issue, it's something that J.B. Bickerstaff was exploring just to see, okay, what's the viability of this? If we feel good about our point guard situation, our guard situation, Is there a creative way for us to get Craig Porter Jr. more minutes, more playing time? Because he was playing well during that stretch. And it was just an option that JB was considering. Very small sample size, less than 70 minutes together. But Darius Garland and Craig Porter Jr. has been a net positive for the Caps. Defensively, not very good, but they get a little bit of a boost offensively. 114.5 offensive rating together. 112.1 defensive rating together. So the 112.1 is a little bit alarming, obviously, because of that size, because of, I don't want to say a lack of toughness, but a lack of physicality maybe out there on the perimeter. So I don't think it's something that the Cavs can use consistently. I think it has to be the right situation. I think it has to be the right matchup. But to sit here and say that it's prohibited, I don't think it's been bad enough together for it to be prohibited. I think it just has to be also with Jared and Evan together on the court. Maybe Isaac Okoro is mixed in there as well to give you a little bit of defensive boost, something along those lines. Like I don't think it's only about these two-man lineups. I think it's about what other pieces surround those two-man lineups and how much can you get away with it. And are you getting enough offensively to offset what you might be losing defensively. So it was something that JB tried. It's something that he wanted to experiment with. He did go away from it for a stretch because I think he understood that there were some defensive limitations, but it's an option that the Cavs will continue to consider, especially in situations where some guys may be missing. All right. So I'm going to do a follow-up question before we get into our break. Do you think Garland and Porter are better together, or Donovan and Craig are better together? Probably Donovan and Craig, but they, like, theoretically, probably Donovan and Craig, but they haven't had 
as many minutes together to continue to work through that chemistry, um, continue to explore the viability of that one. But it would seem from a skill set standpoint that Donovan and Craig would be a little bit better because Craig has been at his best in the times when he's been most impactful when he has the ball in his hands and he's running pick and roll and he's getting into the lane. And I think Donovan as an off-ball player is still a little bit more advanced and a little bit better than Darius at this point in his development. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. I I was going to go Donovan and and Craig too, just because of how well they work together in the offensive set, but also that I don't think – I honestly think that Craig is – like at the same, if not a little bit better than Darius on the defensive end, just when it comes to like on ball defending. But that's just me. I mean, he can block shots too, right? He can finish possessions with big rebounds in traffic. That helps. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go too far because when we come back, we're going to answer some more questions from our subtext subscribers. To get your questions answered, become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Let's get into these final questions from our subtexters. Dave and Tuxin asked. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Did you just say Tuxin? Yeah, what is T-U-C-S-O-N? It's Tucson, Tucson, Arizona. I, I, I hate, I hate pronouncing cities. <laughs> So, let me guess, you've never been to Arizona. I've been to Arizona. I've been to Phoenix. (laughs) Oh, okay. Phoenix. Yeah, that makes sense. That one I know. Maybe Tempe. That one makes sense. Scottsdale. My friends go to Arizona State, so like... Oh, okay. Okay. I go out there for them, and then that's about it. Tucson is where the University of Arizona is located. Tucson. Got it. Tucson. Let's try this again, okay? (laughs) No, you should leave that. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Sorry, Dave in Tucson. Here's your question, buddy. Darius Garland's turnovers are alarmingly up from time to time. What sort of player development skills will a team work on with a PG with sudden turnover problems? I don't know that there's necessarily like big things in terms of player development, in terms of going back to the fundamentals. I think it's more about an understanding of, of what the defense is trying to do against you, what the defense is trying to take away, attention to detail, focus, and not being as lax, I guess, when it comes to some of your passes. Like not taking for granted entry passes into the post or dribble handoffs to your teammate or things along those lines. I think the Cavs believe in Darius. I think they know that he's capable 
of making splashy plays. And they don't want to take that away from him. They don't want to take that aggressiveness away from him. They just want him to be a little bit more understanding of the value of possessions. So I don't think, honestly, Ethan, that there's anything specific when it comes to player development. I think it's more those other things that he needs to get better at when it comes to the nuances of the position. And saying all of that, the last couple of games since J.B. Bickerstaff and the coaching staff has talked to Darius about limiting his turnovers, he has certainly done that. He did it against Miami, and that's a tough physical defense that can be really, really feisty on the perimeter, that can be a pain in the butt to play against. They do create turnovers. They do create deflections. And he was able to take care of the ball. And you can say the same thing against Orlando. Orlando this year, their rise has coincided with a defense. Cole Anthony is a pest. Um, Jalen Suggs is a tough, rugged, on-the-ball defender. Anthony Black has some size to him as well. And Darius in that game against Orlando, nine assists, zero turnovers. So since the game where it was pretty alarming where JB was asked about Darius being number two in the NBA and in turnovers behind just Cade Cunningham, he has been better and he needs to continue that. Yeah. And honestly, most of the time when Darius is turning the ball over, it's just because he's being lackadaisical. Like it's not because he's making bad decisions. It's just like, he's being really loose with the ball and sometimes that comes with being 23 years old and stepping into this true point guard role. Like, that's just something you got to learn with time. And I feel like Darius is learning quicker than a lot of people give him credit for. So we'll see if he continues to keep up this stretch of non-turnover significant games like he's done against the the Magic and the Heat, as Chris mentioned. And you know what, Ethan? To your point, the Cavs have discussed with Darius. He plays with a little flamboyance. He plays with a little flair. But he doesn't always need to, right? And the Cavs have talked to him about, you know, you don't have to go for the home run every single time. Sometimes it's okay to just hit singles. Sometimes it's okay to just make the right pass in the right flow, in the right rhythm of the offense, and then maybe that can lead to another pass, to another pass, and then that leads to a bucket or whatever. So I think they're trying to take, they're not trying to change Darius and his style and the joy that he plays with, and the flair that he plays with. But I think they're trying to get him to understand that that's not always needed to be the kind of offense that the Cavs want to be. Right. And I think the one thing that has been consistent with Darius is every time we talk to him, he knows that he can play the game of basketball at a high level. So he'll say, like, I like playing with my fools sometimes. I don't think anybody in the league can really guard me. And you need to have that kind of confidence when you're playing in the NBA and are 23 years old because there are a lot of guys that are going to come at your neck. And if you're not going to be able to stand on your own two feet, there's going to be problems. But that is not a problem with Darius. Sometimes it's a problem of him being overly confident or overly flamboyant, like Chris says. So, But moving on to the next question from Brian in San Diego. What specifically have you been able to learn from the coaching staff, workouts, or comments from players that shows that Jared Allen and Evan Mobley have and will box out harder, play more physical on the boards, and actually rebound better in a playoff series this year? He asked because he hasn't seen it on the court yet. It's a willingness. It's an added toughness. 
Here, I'll, I'll say this. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are not Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle. Jared Allen isn't Rudy Gobert. Jared Allen isn't Anthony Davis. Jared Allen isn't Jokic. He's never going to be that caliber rebounder. And I wonder the same thing when it comes to Evan, although there's probably like more that his body can handle in terms of growing physically um, and adding strength and stuff like that. But Jared Allen is very, very committed to being the best player that he can be for this team. Jared Allen is very committed to adding strength and being more physical and all those things that showed itself in the playoff series against New York. But it's not like what happened against New York is happening on a nightly basis to the Cavs or happening on a nightly basis to Jared Allen. I think there are matchups where he's going to struggle more and there are matchups that are going to be more beneficial for him. He's not in the category of guys in the NBA, Ethan, at center that are matchup proof, that are going to thrive no matter the situation, no matter the matchup, no matter the opponent. In saying all of that, after every single game, after busting his ass for 36 to 40 minutes a night for this defense, for this team, boxing out, switching on to guards, setting every single screen imaginable, all the little things that, that make Jarrett so integral to the Cavs' success, at both ends of the floor. After every single game, he goes and he does a lifting session because he's committed to that. He's trying to keep up his strength. He's trying to be more physical. He's trying to add muscle to his frame. And maybe it's it's not going to get to the level where if the Cavs play against New York and, and Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle, maybe it's not going to get to the level where it's good enough. Who knows? Sometimes there are just bad matchups in the NBA. But there is a commitment and a want to from both of those guys. And when it comes to rebounding and finishing possessions defensively, that's where it has to start. Right. And we've also talked about how when there are matchups that the Cavs know that Evan and Jared have to work harder to box out solely, then the guards need to step up on the boards as well to make sure that they're getting those defensive rebounds and shutting off the offense from having multiple opportunities to score. Like it cannot just be, obviously it's part of their role to get rebounds, but if they're holding off somebody like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or somebody like that, then the guards need to step up and get boards too. And we've talked about that on multiple occasions for other podcasts like Max Struess and Donovan Mitchell doing that. But let's end on a fun one, Chris. Dave and PA ask, which players are the most shockingly big or small when you see them in person? I'm going to go first here because, you know, I'm a short king, so everybody looks tall to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I think for me, like when I first got here, seeing Evan Mobley in the press chair, like slumped over with his puffer jacket on. Like, you don't think he's going to stand up and be seven feet tall. Like, you just don't. But he, that boy is enormous. <laughs> His legs are so long. He is so tall. His legs look like they should prop up a camel. Um, <laughs> and, like, when he sits on these chairs, whether it's in the locker room or following games, and he goes to the, the post-game press conference setup, it just looks like, he would be so uncomfortable because like his knees are basically up to his chest. So yeah, like to me, 
he is strikingly big. I remember the first interaction that I ever had with him. And I was looking up. I even said to him out loud, I was like, holy bleep, you are enormous. <laughs> like, it's not the biggest guy that I've ever covered. Timofey Mozgov, like when I shook his hand way back in the day, I feel like his hand swallowed mine because he was just a massive human being. Like both in terms of size with just how tall he was, but in terms of like girth and how put together he was, like that was probably the biggest human that I've ever encountered from that standpoint in terms of like meeting him, shaking his hand, interacting with him, all that kind of stuff. Excited and also getting my neck brace ready for whenever we have to cover Wimby because... yeah. But the difference is, like, we don't have to cover him on a daily basis. It's a little bit different. You don't have to stare up at him all the time in these group scrums and stuff like that, or in these one-on-ones and things like that. Smallest for the Cavs? It's kind of cheating, right? But, like, Darius isn't the biggest dude in the world. And, I mean, he's not short necessarily, but, I mean, he's only a little bit taller than me. And I'm not the biggest guy in the world. I'm, like, 5'10", 5'11", or something along those lines. And like, that's actually one of the ones, him and Donovan, where if I'm having like a one-on-one with them and we're standing inside the practice facility or on a basketball court, I don't feel like I'm holding my recorder way up high and staring up at them. (laughs) They have Darius listed as 6'1". I think that's about right. All right, Chris. Well, that was fun. And thank you to our Subtext subscribers for giving us those questions. That'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through Celtics. Y'all be safe. We out.